in your set household. up and now I'm living with somebody else and their their stuff's here and right it's it's double it's the work. A, yeah it's, it's double, double the work man yeah it's um and uh you know, it, it, it's getting there. I got maybe another few few more days of work that I can get this place starting to look more like a, a house, um, right? A, a place to live in. But um, it was your birthday. That's more important. It was your it, birthday. Yeah. Yesterday, yeah. Normally we record on Mondays, but this year my birthday fell on a Monday, June seventeenth. So now, for all of you at home, we're recording on June eighteenth, and yeah, it was my birthday yesterday. Um, it was my 32nd birthday, so I'm well past the Yay. the 30-year mark. Um, <clears throat> Stephen and I are both in the 30 and over club now. Um, yes. And it's, it's 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 a weird feeling. You When you're younger, you never can quite envision yourself, you know, past a certain age. And now that you've gotten there, you're like, this is it? This is, this is, hmm. like, it looked so much cooler when you were a kid. Now, like, being 30 and over is is not as special as it was back then. Um, but yeah, by this point, it, for me, it's not a huge celebration. Uh, it's more of just like, oh, made it another year. Yay. Yeah, I know. <laughs> just, just making it through it oh, another year out. It's like, another, damn. Another year closer to my death. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, for all the skeptics yeah. out there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's the middle of June. I've always liked my, my birthday when I was younger because it coincided with the the end of the school year, so my birthday would be like right after school or right around when school would end. You know, when you're in elementary and middle school, high school, and college ended much earlier, which was really really nice. But um, yeah, but I always kind of associated it with summer, and summer, you know, has always been my favorite time of year. The weather's nicer, uh, th- things just seem a little more happier this time of year. Yeah. I don't know. That's just me. Maybe because I don't have any children. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's uh, that always helps. I think a little <laughs> I think bit. That always but, uh... helps. I, I I'm also yeah. Uh, you know I am single and I have no children, so I guess I don't have any type of responsibility burdens that some other people may have during the summertime. Um, but before we get into our main topic, um, which is coincidentally talking about summer and summer movies and things like that, um, a couple of things we want to talk about. Um, when it comes to something we all know and love, at least Stephen and I do, and that is a Criterion Collection. Criterion Collection, coincidentally, speaking of my birthday, they had their August, uh, no, September announcements uh, on Monday, the 17th, and they uh, put up quite a few interesting releases. A few interesting releases that uh, some I'm not aware of, some I'm very aware of. But yeah, first up here is a film called Local Hero, which is a film I've I've never seen. These are all Blu-ray releases, I think, all for the first time. Um, this is a film I'm not aware of. The next one yeah. is Charlie Chaplin's um, The Circus, which I have seen. It's it's yeah. one of his uh, early feature films from the twenties. Um, I think it predates um, the kid. Yeah, I think it, or maybe it's the one he did right after the kid, but it predates modern times, I believe. And yeah, I'm definitely excited to get more Chaplin in the collection because they haven't released a Chaplin collection. I think a, a Chaplin movie into the collections, I think, since the kid. Yeah. Uh, um, and that was a. So it's been it's been like ago, two years. Yeah. At least. Um, and next one, which is the biggest one, it's the one that everyone's talking about, buzzing about, everyone posted about, and that is John Waters's film Polyester, starring Tab Hunter and Divine. And yeah, I 
I'm really excited for this because I, I don't own it. It's the first time it's going to be on Blu-ray. And there's just, for years now, since Multiple Maniac has come out, since uh, Female Trouble has come out, we're like, oh, what's the next John Waters film to be released by Criterion? And it's polyester. Um, I, I guess a lot of people at home are hoping for Pink Flamingos, but I guess they're just moving right along to polyester, which I think follows up uh, female, female trouble. It's the, the film that came out after that. And for those of you not uh, not familiar, John Ward is a favorite favorite of mine. I mentioned him many times on here, and I'm just trying to get all of his movies because they've been available on DVD for years. But I think some of his stuff, especially his early stuff, is now going on to print. Don't quote me on that. But some of his other more mainstreamy stuff or stuff that's more well-known have already gotten Blu-ray releases from other companies. I know Crybaby's gotten a release. um, Hairspray's gotten a release. um, Serial Mom just got a release, I think, from Shot Factory. So those have gotten releases. John Waters from my neck of the woods, Baltimore, Maryland. He is from Baltimore, Maryland. That's where he lives pretty much year-round, except for during the summertime. I know he has a home at Cape Cod, which is in my neck of the woods, like two hours away. He's here all the time, apparently, during the summer, because they have the the Provincetown Film Festival every single summer. Coincidentally, it's always around my birthday. <laughs> so one year, I definitely want to go there for my birthday, but it's it's a hot um, vacation spot during the summer, Cape Cod and all that area, so it's you know tough to get to. But moving on to the next movie, which is Clooney Brown, which is directed by Ernst Lubitsch, is a film I've also seen as well. And it's also making its Blu-ray debut, and it's a really wonderful uh, kind of comedy romantic uh, film that I think is really, really good. I think a lot of people are going to be seeing it for the first time because it's not too readily available. Yeah, Yeah, I I think I've seen it on Turner Classic Movies like sometime this year, or maybe it was even on Filmstruck. Actually, I think it was on Filmstruck. That that would make sense. Yeah, Yeah. bringing back (laughs) Filmstruck. Um, Um... I mean, speaking of Criterion, the Criterion channel is going strong right now. They've got lots and lots of movies up on there. Um, And some of the Criterion collection editions end up on there, too, with just the wealth of special features. Um, But the next film is a film called The Cloud-Capped Star, and it's a film that I'm not familiar with. Um, But I'm very, very, of course, interested in seeing what that entails. Um... It's about. It's directed by someone I don't even know. Ritwick Gatan, I believe it is. Yeah, yeah, Ritwick Gatan. So that's a potential blind buy um, in the future. And the last one here is Fists in the Pocket by Marco Bellacchio or Bellaccio. I think it's Italian. Pretty sure it is. <laughs> That's another film I'm not familiar with, but yet again, potential blind buy down the line. So it was a pretty interesting month for September. Unfortunately, uh, as we all know, or well, at least at least everyone who collects Criterion's, is that the bi-yearly Criterion sale doesn't fall into September. So perhaps those are things people will pick up at the November sale if indeed it does happen. Who knows? Who really knows right now? I mentioned to Stephen before uh, we started recording that Barnes & Noble, the company, the entity, just got bought by some private company, I think for like, I think it was $630 million or something like that. But Barnes & Noble is kind of like the last, you know, mainstream 
big chain bookstore like of like yeah. available in the United States. I mean, there's not really. It's kind of all like small bookshops now and smaller chains and things like that. But Barnes and Noble was, you know, a big it's, big one. It's it's reverting back to its roots. Yeah, kind of it's... starting. I guess because it's been struggling. I, we, we've all known this for years and years now. It's no secret that physical media in general is waning down, struggling, and that's not only movies. That's also you know print stuff as well, books newspapers, magazines, um, I believe Entertainment Weekly, which has been a weekly magazine since its inception in the late 80s, early 90s, somewhere around there, um, is now switching switching up to being, um, to not being uh, every week. So it's going, so that's kind of changing course on the way we consume media and whatnot. And it's really just showing how Things are changing. Patterns are changing. Um, just, you know, the way we consume things are changing very much so. And it, that kind of actually fits into what we're going to be talking about the, this the, during this episode. Um, because the way movies are consumed, you know, the frequency, the, the seasons and all that kind of stuff is, um, you know, is, is, has, has changed and evolved over time. But Stephen, you have any anything else to say before we like perhaps move on to our main um, t- topic? Can't get the words. Um, the only thing I have to say is that if you've never listened to this before, yes. I'm Stephen Billings, and this is Andrew Cabral, and this is the Cinema Discovery Project. Bam, we're bad hosts. Damn, um, yeah, damn. <laughs> That's what happens when you when you when you're thrown off your game for a little bit. The things that come natural to you get thrown away. Um, yes. Like I, yeah, like we forgot to say it. Cinema Discovery Project. I'm Andrew. You're Steven. Um, <laughs> hopefully, those of you listening have been listening to us before, and this isn't your first time, uh, because yeah. we do appreciate repeat listeners as well as first time listeners. Come one, come all. Come Please. see everything. It doesn't matter. Please come. <laughs> yeah, just go. We're like Barnum and Bailey or uh, no, Greatest Showman no. in here. Um, we're like, yeah, we're, we're, but we're much nicer, and we don't abuse animals. Yeah, we're yeah, not the we're circus. Like, I would say we're more like Batman and Joker. That's I thought you were gonna say Batman and Robin. No, I know <laughs> I switched it up on you. Uh, uh, I want to be one of the cool Robins, though. Maybe not Dick Grayson. You maybe can like be, a, you can be Damien. Yeah, maybe I'll be Damien. Or you know, I would rather be Jason Todd, but not Jason Todd Robin. Jason Todd as Red Hood. That's what I want to be. Well, those are yeah, comic books. Yeah. Those are comic books. But, yeah, it's yeah. We're we're, but, we're getting off topic. Speaking here. of which, I mean, comic book movies have kind of taken over the summer blockbuster uh, trend in the last decade or so. Oh yeah, and since since we're in the middle of the, we're getting really into the thick of it now. Yes. Uh, we figured we would uh, talk about uh, the, I guess, the evolution of the uh, summer blockbuster and yeah, uh, how it's. Yeah, how, evolved how it, over the how years. How it has evolved, and coincidentally, I'm just talking about Entertainment Weekly. It just because I've been collecting Entertainment Weekly now for years, and every year they've got their summer movie preview. That's what they have. Um, I, I'm bringing them back up because I wanted to like specifically mention that they're switching from weekly publication to monthly publication. That was the change, and that was the first time change. But yes, uh, speaking of summer movie preview, we did a whole year long preview early on this year, which we got into all the summer releases and all that kind of stuff but we like steven said wanted to go back go back in time take a trip in the cinema discovery machine back to 
what I like to call 1975, back before the bicentennial, um, because that's where our modern con uh, perception of the summer blockbuster movie existed from. It gets its start where it exists from. Yeah. I mean, it's and it's not like before then we didn't have summer movies or they weren't people going to the movies during the summer because yeah, I mean, there were. <laughs> I mean, there, there was movies like uh, you know, Planet of the Apes was a big movie. Oh yeah, 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 the Planet of the Apes franchise, all that kind of stuff. I mean, and of course, when we turn use the term blockbuster, we are referencing you know the scale and size of these movies, but it's also uh, the reaction, the um, the way the people phenomenon, perceive the, yeah, the, the phenomena of it, the cultural impact of it, and yeah. it's not like we also didn't have big movies before 1975. Of course, we did. I mean, they were making epics in the 50s and 60s. Things I mean, like, I mean, James Bond movies. Yeah, right? I mean, they have, yeah, they had action movies back then too. This isn't like a, a a genesis of the action movie. It's it's just when things changed on a different scale, when things moved from. Uh, there was a, cu a cultural shift, if you will, and that it of course starts with Steven Spielberg's Jaws, 1975. This is a huge, huge hit. Um, it's obviously culturally relevant now. It's iconic. Back then, this was kind of a a relatively big budgeted movie. It was made for less than nine million dollars, but there was a big, um, I think, 1.8 million dollar marketing push for it. Which of course is a you know it's a lot of money in the seventies. Nowadays, you can't do anything with less than ten million dollars. I mean that's that's a that's a Blumhouse movie now. <laughs> yeah, you can't do anything. I mean those movies are making their rounds in the in the uh, the festival circuits, just trying to get yeah. distribution. Um, but back then, you know that's that's a big time movie, and or not a big time, but it's a relatively a, you know big a big experiment considering at the time. Steven Spielberg was a relative unknown filmmaker. I mean, he was coming off of what Duel, Sugarland Express, Sugarland Express. I mean, was not... that was that before? Didn't he do that one before he did Jaws? Yeah, let or me take. I, let I... me actually look before uh, we say stuff. We're not we're, we're lying. I could be. I could could have only been Duel, but I, I, I'm for some reason I think he did Sugarland Express first. And I also want to. I also think he did other stuff. Or maybe he did it. Maybe he did it right after Let's see. Jaws. Where? One thing about it, you have to go all the way back down because they got so many things. Yeah, he well, he had done some short films. He had done a feature feature in '64 called Firelight. Never seen it. Um, yeah, short short TV series, TV series, TV series. Uh, dual TV movie, and then he did TV movie, TV movie, Sugarland Express, then Jaws, and then yeah. followed it up with Close Encounters, then 1941, and what a lot of people don't like. And, of course, Raiders and on and on. But we'll get into those because he's kind of the grandfather, godfather, father, uh, overseer of the summer blockbuster movies. He kind of, you know, that's where he's made his name over his I would entire say, career. Yeah, I would say combination of him and when Star Wars hit the scene, that was... Yeah, the, yeah. those are the, yeah, Jaws and Star Wars are the two films that are the bedrock of the summer blockbuster movie. Because Jaws was a a small kind of phenomenon compared to Star Wars, but it was still big. The movie made, I think it was like 400 and something million worldwide, which was big back then, made over 200 million domestically, which of course was big, like big now. Um, and yeah, it was just, just massive. And the reason, you know, that's where kind of the summer blockbuster, the term blockbuster gets its name from in this context. 
Um, originally, the term blockbuster was actually, I think, from World War II, where the bombs that were dropped in places were, you know, blowing things up, so they called them blockbusters. <laughs> and then, of course, they, and of course, we also have the term, you know, uh, blockbuster bombs or movie bombs. You know, movies that don't do well at the movie theater are also kind of referenced as destructive things. It's very weird. Yeah. The semantics are very weird. Um, yeah. But this idea of the blockbuster is that so many people would be lined up around the block that they would, you know, be, bra- you know, but blockbusting. <laughs> Yet again, play on yeah, words. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's, it's a play on words. Um, it's pretty bad. Yeah. But back, back in the day, you've probably seen this footage. If anybody who's a Star Wars fan or just a movie fan in general, you see these lines of massive droves of people waiting to get in the multiplexes to see that don't happen that that don't happen anymore that doesn't really happen anymore sometimes it does i mean not nowadays i've got i've gotten had to wait in line to get into movies not necessarily outside a multiplex but like but i've had to wait in line i had to as recently as uh seeing the movie it from not last year yeah the year before last um i think it came out I had to wait in line to see that. Uh, Star Wars, you still have to wait in line at theaters to uh, uh, t- to get in. I know that. I've seen people have to wait in line for that. I remember having to wait in line to see Harry Potter when that came out. Um, I don't think I don't myself. think there's I don't I don't think there's patience for for that overall but it, honestly, though anymore. It really depends on the movie theater because most mainstream you know cha- uh, what am I saying uh, chain movie theaters you can reserve your seats. But yeah, for reserve the ones your you seats, can't, buy, buy in advance. Yeah, buy in advance. But for the ones you can't, which is seemingly the ones I keep going to, uh, where you have to buy and then like, you know, stiff arm people on the way to get in the good seats, um, you have to wait in line to get in because it's not like oh you just you buy your ticket, you know your seat number, you go and sit down like a concert or something like that. But see, I'm, I'm my, my theaters are a little bit behind here than everybody else's. That's the problem. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that, Andrew. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I guess there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, moving on to, I guess, more contextual stuff about the times, um, I guess just culturally, going to the movies during the summer is just something that has been happening forever, I I, I would say. And I use forever yeah, I mean, as a it's... loose term. You know what I mean? Yeah as, you, yeah, as you were you know alluding to earlier about your, your own birthday and whatnot and you know it being also the the time of the year where most kids are out of school yes so it's you know it's a it's a fun time everybody's going on vacations doing going to the pool going whatever and uh that's it's just it's the time of the year most of the movie industry tries to put their tentpole movies in yeah you you wouldn't be surprised how many articles i looked at that uh you know to get some you know historical context uh, all of them referenced um, hot summer days and escaping that heat by going into an air-conditioned movie theater. Yeah. Like, that was the way to beat the heat back in the day because it's not like today where, you know, some houses have air conditioning or central air conditioning or, you know, there's, like, things you know, things that kids can do during the summer. Nowadays, like, kids' like lives are, most for the most part, it really depends on situation I mean, their lives are structured you know not like in the 50s 60s 70s where like summertime kids would just run around by themselves unsupervised and whatnot um nowadays it's mostly like you know parents are more involved and things like that and that's a whole cultural difference thing about just the generation gaps and whatnot 
But something that has stayed consistent is going to the movies. I know Stephen and I grew up going to the movies with with our parents or friends or whatnot, and it was just something we did. You know what I mean? We never questioned it. We loved it. Heck, we love it now. No. Honestly, we wouldn't be talking about it's in, it. It's ingrained in us. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, I, it, it was we were brainwashed when we were kids when to it, love these movies. I, <laughs> to be honest, I don't think I've been to the movie theater the last couple of weeks, and it's starting to get to me. Oh really? I'm starting to, well, I'm starting been, to feel you've been it. Busy yeah. with life stuff. Um, yeah, it's it's keeping me from the movie theater, and I don't like it. Um, yeah, you know me. I'm like I like to go, but like my patience with movie going is is, is waning, and, it, and you know it's, it's the people. You know the one thing that also sure, hasn't yeah. changed over time is the crowds of people and the the, uh, the their habits or lack of habits. You know what I mean? Like their, their lack ignorance, of ec- yeah. lack of um, you know awareness, awareness, and just like. All that kind of stuff. But that, that's a different thing. That's a different thing. Uh, that's yeah. We've, we've 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 yeah. I don't. <laughs> that's a different. I don't want to. I don't want to get angry right now. Yeah, I don't want to get angry at people. Um, and so, but moving on to the moving on from there, Star Wars was the biggest one. I know. I I everyone says oh, because everyone seems to talk about Star Wars. Like oh, Star Wars this, Star Wars that, you know. But I I I can't impress this upon people enough. Star Wars not also from an not only from an entertainment perspective changed things, but from a cultural standpoint and the way people relate to movies changed things forever. There's no, there's nothing quite like that. The the fervor, the cultural fervor around that was like nothing else. And of course, Hollywood paid attention to that greatly, and that changed the way they made movies after that, and it changed the way they structured you know, how, when to release movies, how to release movies, and, you know, what types of movies that people want to see. Keep in mind, in the 70s, we didn't have the technology that they we have now. They didn't, they didn't have the technology that they had 10 years after that. So CGI wasn't really a big thing. A lot of things were done with uh, practical effects, with model effects. Um, there were some special effects, but rudimentary stuff. Like, if you watch some old stuff that tries to use special effects in the 70s doesn't look very great because it's it's very basic. They don't know what they're doing. But Star Wars was able to kind of bridge that gap to the point where you didn't you didn't see the you didn't see this the bad special effects. You can watch those movies today and they still hold up. So it's kind of a watershed moment from a production standpoint, but from a cultural standpoint as well. The fandom there were and there were fans of things before that. There were comic cons there were things like that, but what happened is that um, it, it wasn't as high. There wasn't it, it wasn't a cross multimedia platform that we have now. You know, back then they had you know, the marketing wasn't like it was with Star Wars, where you had toys, you had T-shirts, you had lunch boxes, you had just everything from everywhere just to sell to pump this movie up and. And in doing so, making it so popular by seeing those things in stores and all that kind of stuff, people would go to the movies to see it. Even people who weren't even interested in science fiction or weren't even interested in movies, they would just go there because, hey, that's what everybody's talking about. So everybody would just go there. And it only, you know, kind of moved on from there. That's when you get to the modern day franchise franchise buildings i think really starts from there and it's not like we didn't have franchises before then because we did but now hollywood was really paying attention to making franchises and this is well yeah i mean 
Yeah, go on. Yeah, I, I was going to say money-wise, you know, one of the things that's interesting about how blockbusters are put, to, you know, put together franchises are put together compared to back then. One thing that was brought up on a podcast I was listening to was that they were talking about the Planet of the Apes movies, right? And um, how funny enough, uh, back then, as they did sequels, um, they actually started to make the sequels cheaper. Yeah. Instead of making them more expensive, which is the backwards way of how they do movies today. Oh yeah, it's, like it's the back. They're, they're, yeah, it's very much backwards. Yeah, they they used to care about trying to minimize the budget, and now they don't give a shit. Let's throw five hundred million dollars at this one movie. Oh you know, yes. Like, oh yeah. It's, it's yeah, and money wasn't the way it, it is now. You have to keep you know the economics of the situation you know apparent because. The, the the way money was valued back then is different the way it's valued now. Like nowadays, you know, $500 million is different today than it was back in the day. Like, it's all an economics thing, but all, that's all you have to know is that money is valued in, in different years. You know, that's just ec- economics. But yeah, just that's that's the way they would do things. And it doesn't, it doesn't work that way anymore. That's why, like, past that Star Wars point, past 77... You get more money thrown into things, but you also get money thrown into things that aren't good, but you hope they're going to be good. You know what I mean? Like like chances being yeah. taken. I mean, a lot. This is when the '80s hits in. The '80s is known for, you know, kind of weird cultural things. In my opinion, the music is different. The clothing is unlike anything you've seen in any other decade, and the movies are also unlike anything you've seen in any other decade. Because I think there were just so many more risks taken and so many more chances taken because like they were just trying things out and that's kind of cool from a certain perspective but looking back at it you know some movies you know are they're trying to capture the same thing that successful movies would would have but they're not successful at it and you get movies that are more like um you know uh pop not not pop uh cult hits you know i mean something like flash gordon is a cult hit you know what I mean? Coincidentally, Flash Gordon is one of the inspirations for Star Wars. That's something yeah. that George Lucas, you know, he would watch those old serials as, as a kid, and he would get he would get inspired by them. And then when he went to make the Flash Gordon movie, it's you know it is what it is. It's not great, and that's just kind of interesting how you know there's a lot of gambling being taken back then. But during that time, you also have some of the most well-known franchises ever. Some some franchises that are still being watched, talked about, still being made sequels today. It's kind of crazy. Um, but And this is kind of the portion of the Cinema Discovery Project where we're not really discovering things that people don't know about. This is probably one of our more mainstream episodes of the yeah, franchises yeah. that everybody knows about. So we already touched on Jaws with Spielberg, we already, and we touched on Star Wars, but of course Star Wars um, had had its sequels. 1980 was Empire Strikes Back. 1983, Return of the Jedi. And of course, those movies were the biggest movies of those summer seasons. And you also had other franchises pop up in there. Indiana Jones. Pretty sure a lot of people know Indiana Jones. Coincidentally, also done by Lucasfilm. Lucasfilm was really, you know, you know, pumping, pumping out some good stuff back then. But what is interesting is I found an article... That only goes from to, uh, it goes from seventy five to two thousand and seventeen, where it it's it, there's a list of like 
the like the biggest summer movies of each year, and it's really interesting. And I kind of want to go through it kind of as a guide over the years because okay. because it's it's it fascinates me like what was big back then and what is still like is this movie still remembered now? And actually, this whole list they pretty much all are. But you know, the first of course is Jaws, then Star Wars and set in um in seventy seven. Um, yeah, but the one in 76, which is very interesting to me, uh, is The Omen. It was apparently the biggest movie for the summer of 76. Man, a horror, a horror movie was the biggest yeah, movie of the year. That's kind, of, that's kind of crazy to me because it also shows that the summer blockbuster doesn't typically have one specific genre that it, that it's, it caters to. Granted, most of these movies will be sci-fi action things like that well well the but, other thing you yeah. got to take into account in this case is that the, the competition's not nearly as yeah high like it like yeah, it, they didn't have like they didn't have like there's not like 20 big budget movies that come out in one year it's like maybe like two or three maybe at that time yeah you know, it's something not, that it, something that yeah and, the, and in the yeah. case of the omen it's a small movie it just yeah it, it hit on it hit on quick you know but it's also you have to keep in mind you know, coach, not culturally, but just like what the audience is like back then versus what they are now. They're not the same. You know what I mean? Like, sure. if The Omen came out today in our current movie climate society, it would probably be passed over. Not passed over, but like kind of like one of these horror movies that you see come out every every so often that, you know, people go see it, makes a little bit of money, and, that, and then we just move on to something else. Um, kind of like how most Blumhouse films kind of really work um, <laughs> to a certain extent. But, anywho, so you have The Omen, Star Wars, and then this is very interesting to me. Talk about a different genre you don't hear much of today when it comes to big summer blockbusters. Um, we're talking Grease in 1978. It doesn't what? surprise me, No, honestly, it doesn't surprise it, me. But but I don't care for the movie, so... Yeah. Um, I, I grew <laughs> up watching the movie. Where, you know, I grew, I grew up watching it several times, so I'm well acquainted with it. And I, and I can still understand the, the cultural impact it has today. People are still watching this movie. Uh, they're still performing this on, on, on stage in some places. Um, it's, it's a movie that is, is more culturally interesting to me than I think it's a great movie. Um, but yeah, a lot of people still love it. And yet again, I think it's a generational thing where like someone has passed it on to the next one and the next one. Um, but yeah, you don't really see musicals... Um, during the summer blockbuster season anymore those they actually keep those more for oscar season which is very interesting to me if you think about what has come out over the last couple of years la la land the greatest showman even something like a star is born that has you know musical elements to it those are you know where where those movies lie and what is very interesting is that the mo- that movie the year long movie year that's terrible terminology uh, it's broken up into it's broken up into seasons, um, and so. But moving on, so number uh, number the next one here from seventy nine is the Amityville Horror. Yet again, another, another horror movie. Another horror movie. Yeah. Another horror movie. It's kind of. It was a dark. It was dark. Dark times in the seventies. I guess it's kind of. Well, I mean, we did our horror episode, and if you remember, the seventies is when horror movies also had the, had a change. This is where you started getting the slashers, and you started getting some really good horror films that have really stood the cultural test of time. Texas Chainsaw uh, Massacre, Halloween, well, things also, like that. Also, in reality, in the real world, there was a lot of uh, horrific things going on True. that 
inspired movies and I think caught caught maybe caught the uh, the focus of the public wanting to see some of that in in their entertainment. You know, whether it's you know I think the Manson stuff. Well, the Manson stuff had happened at the end of the sixties, right? Um, and then the uh, you know stuff maybe like the Zodiac Killer. I think was during that time. Um, you know, like so a lot of cultural, actual cultural, um, you know, serial killers were starting to come up in that time. And that, yeah. and I think, you know, obviously the Emmy Vohar story is based on true events. It is. Um, so, you know. It is. But of course, the next one for 1980s Empire Strikes Back. We all know about Empire Strikes Back. 81 was um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones. We all know that. And the next one is something that is near and dear to Stephen's heart. E.T. Is that, and that is E.T. He even said it. Man, he's got these years down pat. Um, and, of course, the following year, 83, was Return of the Jedi. And then yeah. we get, um, all these movies are stuff people people know. Um, 84, Ghostbusters. 85, uh, Back to the Future. Um, Ghostbusters, they're, they're making another, they're making a movie, another one, a sequel. Uh, or a third film in that franchise. It's very interesting how you look at these movies, and you're like, people love these movies so much, and Hollywood wants wants to make still make money on them that they're trying to bring them back again to make more well, that, money that, on that, them. That, 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 that can definitely get into our discussion of of yeah. the modern the modern how the modern blockbuster is. Oh is yeah, we're we gonna get, touch we get... on the modern blockbuster because it's it's changed over. It's not. I just say it's not strict. It's not strictly limited to the three month. You know, June, July, August, or in in most cases, May, June, July, and August. It's you know, the four months, but it's it's spread out now. But uh, of course, Back to the Future, which um, we don't, they they always talk about doing another one or doing something with it. But anywho, that's neither here nor there. But 1986, Top Gun. Isn't there going to be a Top Gun movie coming out next year? I think there it's is. It's called Ma- it's called Maverick. It's called Maverick. Um, and this is interesting. A another sequel here. And this is for 87, is Beverly Hills Cop 2. Interesting. Yeah, they were supposed to do something with Beverly Hills Cop. They were supposed to do a show. They were going Um, to do a TV show where I think they were going to get Eddie Murphy like back to play he Axel was gonna Foley. be he was like the police he was playing the police chief and his son was the main focus yeah and it, it for some reason it, it didn't get greenlit for some reason well you know i mean at that time uh you know isn't didn't uh the second wasn't the second one directed by uh what's his name um that did superman well uh, richard donner um, richard donner yeah he oh. did the second one I and think then maybe, and, right. you know, and then uh, you know Eddie Murphy, of course, in the eighties was was oh uh, he was the a phenomenon in, in and of himself. Yeah, Beverly Hills Cop two, which came out in eighty seven, was oh actually was directed by Tony Scott. Okay, the first one was directed by Donner, I think, or maybe that was Martin Martin Brest Best. Oh, Brest. Martin Brest. A man's career died with Geely. <laughs> Great, uh, good, solid director. And that was Martin Brest. You are correct. Good, yeah. good pull on that one. Very good yeah. pull. On maybe that the one. maybe the third one. Maybe I'm just thinking of Lethal Weapon, and I keep I keep. Well, Lethal Weapon. I know Richard Donner did all of them. I know that. Yeah. Oh yeah, I know that. But anywho, going back to the list, uh, 1989. No, we're going. No, 1988. Sorry. Uh, Robert Zemeckis is back again with Roger Rabbit, a movie I watched when I was a child, perhaps too young. That third, that that climax kind of effed me up. Um, with Christopher Lloyd, uh, but 1989 here is uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. 
Uh, interesting that Temple of Doom wasn't the hottest movie when it came out. Interesting. Um, uh, and this movie, this is the one that kind of surprised me the most, was 1990. This was the movie Ghost. You know the movie I'm talking yeah, about, Ghost? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Patrick Swayze, man. Yeah, Patrick Swayze. It, it doesn't surprise me. He's so sexy. I mean, yeah. I, I mean... <laughs> Well, that I'm is. So, that I'm is not surprised. That is very, and the very thing true. Is, it, well, that and you know, the movie was nominated for best picture. So it won, I think, for I want to say it won a screenplay award. Yeah, and then Whoopi Goldberg won won the best supporting actress. I think. Yes, she did. She won and ran for and won for uh, best original screenplay. Yes, or to say yes, yeah, best writing screenplay written directly for the screen. Best pottery love scene. <laughs> It was also nominated for Best Picture. I don't know if you said that. But yeah, yeah I said that. That was the first thing I said. Oh, it was? It's the first thing I said. Yeah. Come on. Are you Come actually on. listening to rusty, me when I speak? Rusty. I'm just uh, kidding. <laughs> too much birthday celebration. Um, yeah, too much birthday cake. Yeah, too much birthday cake. And, of course, it also starred Demi Moore as well. Um, yes. But that's just interesting because that's a, that's a drama, romance. That's not, a, that's not yeah. something you typically see making lots and lots of money. But yet again, 1990, different time. And of course, uh, 91 was Terminator 2, another kind of mm, franchise-changing film, or I would say genre-changing film, that's more appropriate. But uh, that's a franchise they don't know what to do with, and they keep like trying to self-murder itself. It, it's, it's, it's a, I don't know, they're still trying to make a Terminator movie now, and it's, one will be coming out this year? Yes, it's coming yeah. out this year. November. Yeah. It is 2019, and Terminator 2 came out in 1991. So you can see how Hollywood just holding on to that old money, trying to get more out of it. Um, and, of course, 1992 is Batman Returns, Steven's favorite Batman movie. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, no, it's not. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's, down, on my, it's down on my list. It's not the worst, <laughs> but it's not my favorite. I, I brought that up because I know it's not one of your favorites. Yeah, I know, I know. You think you're funny, Andrew? <laughs> but it's it's Tim Burton dialed up to eleven. This movie is Batman gothic to the extreme, and it's like it's it's Tim Burton unleashed. That that's how I like to describe it. It's yeah. a weird movie. I saw it. It was one of the first movies I saw in theaters when I was like five years old. Uh, it's not 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 something I don't know many five year olds should see, but I did. Uh, speaking of a movie yeah. I saw in the theater, and now we're getting to the '90s, which I think is a lot of movies that. Steven and I saw when we were kids. Okay, I'm going to guess. Oh, which, which year is there it? We go. 93. Okay. Mm. Was it... Uh, now, I was going to say Silence of the Lambs, but that's not it. Nope. Uh, uh, damn. Never mind. Go ahead. Keep talking. Uh, it is a, a small indie film. Don't know if you've ever heard of it. It didn't really do well, and that would be Jurassic Park. Oh, man. <laughs> I would have never guessed that one. I know. I Never in a million years would I have guessed ah. that. Man, it only grossed a hundred and it only grossed nine hundred and fourteen million worldwide in its initial release. That's, not, that's terrible. Mm, damn. Um, but yeah, speaking of a franchise that they're still pumping out movies for, Jurassic Park. Um, yeah, it's very yet again that trend keeps happening. But the next movie is a movie that they haven't made a sequel to, and that is Forrest Gump in nineteen ninety four. Um, very interesting how that was the big movie of the summer back in 94. Um, I'd have to go back and actually look at see what else came out that summer. But I know that this movie was a huge hit when it came out. Um, 
I don't know how. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know about summertime, but we know that you know some of the biggest movies were Pulp Fiction and oh Shawshank, and, uh, yeah, Shawshank and and uh, what Quiz Show I think came out that year. I think it was. So yeah, th- yeah. But anyway, but uh, that, yeah. But I'll move on yeah, to that. Well, also, I'm sorry. Also, uh, we know Ace Ventura, uh, The Mask, and Dumb and Dumber were all in the same oh, year. Oh yeah, of that year. Interesting. It was a, it was a big year. Yeah, it was a big year for uh, Jim Carrey. So uh, that is a big year for Jim Carrey. Damn. Yeah. Um, speaking of Jim Carrey, <laughs> what a segue. Ninety-five is a little. You're movie, welcome. Is a little movie I like to call Batman Forever. And I was mm. there back in 95. I'll never forget Batman? It. I was there. Batman you, Batman, you say, coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's my impression of Jim Carrey for Batman Forever. Pretty accurate, pretty accurate. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all know this movie because it is the one with, that stars Val Kilmer as Bruce Wayne slash Batman. An underrated Bruce Wayne slash Batman, in my opinion. Um, yes. He was coming off, you know, Val Kilmer was the Heat. man back in the day. Back in the late 80s and the 90s. He was the man, and his career's kind of fallen off a cliff in the last know, few he years. Became, he became Fat Kilmer. And, then, and he uh, lost all the weight. I know he recently... Well, he, he had cancer. I recently he had, cancer. had throat cancer, which he wouldn't say he did. I, I don't know. But anywho, um, he's still with us, but not looking well, well health-wise, but... Back in the day, he was the man. Back in the nineties, he was uh, he was he was good. And this was, of course, uh-huh. the first Joel Schumacher film. Um, and we all know how how this was just us dipping our toe into the Joel Schumacher Batman, and, and then it kind of fell off the cliff after that. But moving on to you know a movie that has uh, kind of so actually stood the test of time, and this is a movie I saw in theaters. I know I did, and that is Independence Day. In 1996, the Will Smith vehicle that launched Welcome his career. Welcome to Earth. Welcome to Earth. And <laughs> this movie launched him into the stratosphere. He had he had already been well known or rapping, being a, being a musician. Of course, he had his his TV series Fresh Prince of Bel Air. But movie career wise, this 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 movie launched him. It launched him pretty far. And, and speaking of launching him pretty far, in the following year, he had another big hit movie, and that would be Men in Black. And Men in Black literally just had a new Black. movie come out. Yeah. Oh, and back in the di- back in the day, for some reason, like every Will Smith movie would have would have him doing like the main song on the soundtrack. Yeah. Men in Black. Because then he did Wild Wild, Wild, West. Wild West. Um. He did Wild Wild West. He didn't do one for Independence Day though. No, he didn't. No. Not that I know of. No, but coincidentally, Men in Black just had a new movie come out, and it crashed and burned at the box office, and that would be a box office bomb, if you will. Uh, to, yeah. to bring that back up, but yeah, that I remember when that movie came out. I went and saw it. Everybody went and saw it. Uh, the next year, we have um, a movie. Some people don't like. Some people do like. Some people think it's a guilty pleasure, and that is Armageddon. Nineteen uh, uh, ninety-eight. Amazing! It's an amazing film. I saw this in theaters, and it was a whole bunch of fun. And I'll never forget this because when I saw it in theater, uh, the fire alarm went off. And we had to evacuate the building, and it was during the scene when they were, like, slingshotting, like, they were trying to land on the asteroid, and it was the scene where they're, like, all the debris is, like, hitting, is, like, hitting them, and, like, one of their, their, their 
aircrafts, uh, spacecrafts crashed or whatnot. But it was right yeah. during that sequence that like that like the screen like went off and then like the lights came on. They were like, you know, over the intercom, you know, please exit, blah blah blah. We had to exit the emergency exit. And, and anywho, we got, we got to go back in to finish the movie. But I remember that that was the first that was the first and only second, time that's ever happened to me. For a second, you thought reality in the movie crossed paths. Also, I think that was the same year that the Rugrats movie came out, because Ooh. the screen when the screen um, changed, like when it went to black, an ad for like the Rugrats movie came on. I think it is. I may be forgetting this. Keep in mind, this was. 21 years ago <laughs> and i was yes. and i was like 11 at the time around then um but the next year speaking of a a, a life-changing moment in all of our lives uh 1999 gives us the matrix f- oh you would think so Stephen. Oh, ah. oh you would think so uh it's a little film i like to call star wars episode one the phantom yeah Mace. yeah this movie was a phenomena it was Unlike anything I had experienced in my young life at the time, I didn't know what Star Wars fever was because I wasn't alive back in you know in the early '80s and of course when the first movie came out. But man, I remember people going bonkers for this movie in anticipation for it to come out. We heard all these stories from people who who waited outside for like days in line to see this movie. Oh, yeah. People who saw it like four, five, six times or whatever. Um, I did. I saw it. I think I saw it three times. I think I saw it twice. Maybe not three times. No, I saw it twice. I think I saw each of them twice. Well, yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think right around the same times too, didn't they? Re-release the originals in yeah, the special editions. Yeah, they did the recuts yeah. back in the, the re- late nineties yeah. in anticipation for episode one. They re- yeah. they re-put them in theaters and they added new special effects. They added some changes here and there, and that's where. Our, People's love affair with George Lucas was starting to uh, erode, and then the pre- and then yeah. Episode One came out, and the old school Star Wars fans were like, "Uh oh, what's mm. what, what, what is this? What is this Jar Jar Binks character stepping in poop? Lisa, <laughs> literally stepping in poop in the movie." Um, Ye- yippee! Oh but anyway, we could talk about that forever. But no, nah, we don't need to talk about year. that anymore. Let's move to the next year, which is a franchise. Gladiator that- is it? Yeah, go is on. it Gladiator? Oh, you don't think so? No, sir. Ah, no. It, it, I'll say this: it, it, <laughs> Gladiator is getting a sequel, so I guess it's a franchise now. Who knows? Um, but it is a movie called Mission Impossible Two, directed ah, by John Woo. The worst Mission Impossible. <laughs> movie. It is the worst Mission Impossible movie. I don't think it's as bad as some say it is, because I've seen it a few times, uh, and recently not, I've seen it. It's not as bad, but yeah, good. it's still. If I had to rank them, that one's at the bottom. Um, it, it really is. And I just think because of John Woo's style really didn't lend itself well to the movie in certain spots. Um, but I'll say this, though. The Mission Impossible franchise is still going very, very strong. It's actually gotten better over time, which doesn't happen yes. with a lot of franchises at all. It really doesn't. Um, the next one we have is 2001. And this is where we get um, an interesting kind of four-year block here. And where three out of the four films are animated films. Um, and the first one here is Shrek. Yep, I can see that. Yeah, 2001 was Shrek. Uh, I saw I that one in I theaters. I didn't see um, Shrek in theaters. I saw it later on on DVD. Uh, I, or, I mean, I mean, l- l- you should say the full title. Uh, Shrek, a.k.a. Smash Mouth. <laughs> 
Uh, hey, now you're an because they just played a bunch of they just played a bunch of Smash Mouth songs. Yeah, they did. Did they, did they do All yeah. Star? Did they do? Oh, they did All Star. I think in the second movie they did. Uh, they did another one like. Uh, well, can't, no, didn't they do Life Is a Highway? N- well, that's that's a different. That that's a somebody different else. I don't even know. That's somebody else. But uh, then in one of the, I mean, Smash Mouth, their music was in everything. Right. Like in basketball, they did Why Can't We Be Friends? You know, like it. It's in everything. But uh, that's getting off subject. Shrek, yes, I can see why it was a phenomenon. You also had Eddie Murphy in there. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, Mike Myers had just gotten off of doing, I think, his last Austin Powers movie, maybe, or it was right no, around he, that time. He had done. Yeah, he had not done Goldmember yet. Okay. He's coming off of Spy Who Shagged Me in '99. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so Mike Myers is still in his. Prime, I guess. Thing is, he never really like was out of his prime. He just kind of stopped doing things. He just, <laughs> he just did. Mean? He just did Love Guru and decided uh, to. Oh yeah, that kind of yeah. 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 But, but anyway, moving on to the next one, and this is the live action film I'm talking about. That's Spider Man, Sam Raimi Spider Man. This movie changed everything. When it's when we're talking about, and we talked about comic book movies earlier. Um, this movie plus. X-Men that came out in 2000, which I'm actually surprised wasn't the big one, the big one. Um, it Those two movies changed everything. They started a chain reaction that has brought us to modern day where the biggest movies of the summer are the comic book movies. And they're the biggest movies of every single hey, year, money-wise. Let's not, let's not forget about Blade. Oh, okay? let's not forget. Yeah, you know, there was Blade in there. Yeah, Blade was back in 98, but hey, nobody went to see that. Blank, let's, not, let's not forget Blank Man, okay? Oh, okay, Blank Man. Oh, or not, Dark uh, Man. Uh, don't forget about The Phantom with Billy Zane. Yeah, the, I love yeah that let's damn not movie. forget about them super... Them, <laughs> them, they, 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 yeah, Spawn. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Spawn is another one, which, uh, that movie does not hold up, um, I've watched, it doesn't. rewatched it recently. Uh, it's let's bad. Ho- let's hope they, they get that new one out sooner rather than later, uh, because that's a character that I think would lend itself very well to modern day movies with modern day tech, technology. Um, yeah. but yeah, Spider-Man was a big one. Spider-Man is one of the most popular characters of all time in, I, I, in yeah. comics. Sam Raimi did a, Sam Raimi did a fantastic job of... He really did. You know, Sam, with what he had. You and know. It's, it's not the last time we're going to see Sam Raimi on this list. Uh, the next one is from 2003, and that is Finding Nemo. That's a good one. Which is, yeah, that's, that's a great movie. And then the following, yeah, there's no, just, we don't have anything to discuss. It's Finding Nemo. If you haven't seen that movie, it's it's, it's fantastic. Um, the next one is Shrek 2 from 2004. Yeah, there it is. There it is. Um, I remember the, seeing that in the theaters. The kitties are... More kitties are going to the theaters. Yeah, it's a really weird trend. And it's not Disney. Disney dominates the box office now when it comes to animated movies. But back in the early 2000s, apparently it was DreamWorks. And apparently it was. Um, and, of course, and then, 2000, yeah, so yeah, that was 2002? Yeah. Saying, yeah. Yeah. But go on, what were you going to say? Well, Nemo's... Well, it was Pixar. Disney hadn't bought Pixar yet, but uh, right, yeah. And next, oh yeah, so that was two thousand and four. This is two thousand and five, which is Revenge of the Sith. It wasn't Crash. No, Christ, no. <laughs> I'm actually really surprised that I have to run the numbers. Maybe I'll look at the numbers later. But that um, Star Wars Episode Two wasn't the biggest movie of two thousand and two. 
I guess that first movie just really, uh, <laughs> just really yeah, did it. It did, yeah. Well, uh, yes. That's kind of. I'm gonna. I'll run the numbers later. But that's interesting. That Sam Raimi Spider Man was the biggest movie that summer. I mean, Spider Man Two is awesome. Yeah, Spider Man Two is also really good. What's interesting, not on this list, but after Revenge of the Sith, we all know it was the last of that. The prequel franchise, that's why a lot of people went to see it. Honestly, it's the best of the prequel movies, if you want my honest opinion. Probably, yeah. I'll be I honest, so, I've yeah. seen a lot of people rank their Star Wars movies, and Revenge of the Sith is high up there for a lot of them, uh, for a lot of fans. Um, surprise, a little surprising to me. But the next yeah. year is we have uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man, yes. uh, yeah, Dead Man's Chest, 2006. And this is the... Second movie, the second one. Oh no, wait, that's yeah, that's the second one. Yeah, the first World's one was End. Wor- the- Wor- World's End's the third one. Yeah, the first one was Curse of the Black Pearl, then Dead Man's Chest, then you said, what did you, what did you say? End of the, the World. The World's End. I yeah, think. something like that. And then we at had World's End. At World's End. And there was a fourth one, and then there was a uh, a fifth I one. I, I stopped counting. Who um, cares? Uh, anywho, but 2007, here we are. Uh, Spider-Man 3, back with Sam Raimi. I remember when this movie came out, and people went to see this in droves. And this movie was breaking, like, box office records. And it's not the best of these Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. Um, But I guess people just really wanted to see it. But the hype train around it, I think, really helped. We were going to finally see Venom. It was was Venom, yeah. It was was the Venom thing, yeah. And he's only in the movie... For like a couple of minutes. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, every time they came on the screen, Topher Grace's face just popped up, and they'd take the mask off and yeah, be like, "It's that, me, Topher Grace." Yeah, he's only in like the third act of the movie, and uh, it's uh, it's not not that great. It's but, it's rough. But I kind of hate that we never got a fourth one. But that's something for a different time. And this is where, and the next movie is another film that, for me, changed the genre, changed the summer movies. In in, in in immensely, and that is the Dark Knight, two thousand and eight. Oh yeah, I saw this movie. I'm still reeling from seeing this movie eleven years later. Like it's still sitting with me that this movie exists. And I know that's gonna be that's there's gonna be a lot of people out there saying, "Oh, you're a Nolan fanboy. Oh, it's not it's not as good as you, you think it is. All this kind of stuff." But man, in context of the time, two thousand and eight. There was never, ever a movie like this within the genre, where it was both a movie, like high quality movie, when it came when it comes to uh, screenplay writing, when it comes to themes, when it comes to all of these things, and also be action and thrilling and have a pace to it, and the acting being so fantastic, more specifically by. Heath Ledger as the Joker, a a version of the Joker we had never seen before, and it was a version of a movie within the genre we've never seen before, and we kind of haven't really seen it since, in my opinion, and it was just something that was unbelievable, and I know people talk about it in droves, and I know, Steven, I know you like it as well. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty good. But anyway, we'll move on, because that movie made a billion dollars, and the next film is a film I sadly... Oh, I sadly waited to see because I went to I went to a showing and they were sold out. So I was like, oh, I'll wait for the next one, which was like an hour and a half or two hours after that. Uh, it was one of those ones where I had to wait in line to get in. And then they opened the doors and people ran into the theater to get seats. And like people got like pushed and trampled and all that kind of stuff. Not trampled, but you know what I mean. And that is Transformers 
Revenge of the Fallen. Oh, Gross. Steven. I have a lot of a lot of a lot of dark things in my past. This may be one of the darkest. Where I waited to see this movie. <laughs> and uh and I just say it's not the best one. <laughs> it's not the best one. Uh yeah, and that's 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 a hard thing to do because they're all pretty bad. Yeah, but it uh. also shows uh I mean, for the for the movies that we've listed so far, they all have they're all quality movies for the most part. I don't think we've had some we've had some duds. Uh, you know, Phantom Menace being what it is, whatever. That's subjective, but Transformers Revenge of the Fallen is not not good. And I mean, contextually around that time, this the 2009 movies were all plagued because of the writer's strike from 2007 to 2008 when all of those movies were being made. A lot of those screenplays were not finished. A lot of those movies started in to go into principal photography and production without screenplays and without rewrites that were desperately needed or things like that. And those movies definitely showed. Because that's the year when I think you got... Um, James Bond, A Quantum of Solace, not a good movie. You know what I mean? That's the year, I think, where you got, um, what was the, uh, was that the year you got, was it the second um, Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer, I think? But that was also the year you got Star Trek, the J.J. Abrams Star Trek. But what is interesting is I found out about the J.J. Abrams Star Trek is that I think the writers, I forgot who wrote the screenplay for that movie, I could look it up. But I think Alex they, Kirksman. I think so. But they were also Kirksman. They were, Kirksman. They were also producers, so they could be on set while the movie was being made, so they could do the the writing that needed to be done. And they didn't, you know, they could because if you were a writer, you and you were on strike, you couldn't be on set. You couldn't do anything because you weren't you're on strike. Can't cross that picket line. That's how that's how unions go and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, that movie didn't suffer from that, and I'm actually surprised that that movie wasn't the big one of the summer, and because I, I, it's a better, it's a much better movie than Star Trek: Revenge of the Fallen. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that movie, ah, oh, oh, directly below Enemy Scrotum. I mean, that was a line that John Turturro had to say. I mean, <laughs> come on now. Yeah, that was yeah. Roberto Orsi, Alex Kurtzman, those those were the writers on that. But okay, moving on past that turd. Um, let's move on to uh, a great. Movie. There, there, are, there are many other turds to come. I'm sure. Uh, actually, not. I don't think so. No, we're gonna get into some good stuff here. Some modern well, day uh, stuff. Well, uh, we got. Let's let's pick up the pace. We yeah, gotta pick it up. Gotta pick get up. through the. Uh, Toy, Toy Story Three, which we all love. That's a good one. It's we good all, one. which we all love. The following year, which I believe was 2000 and. 11 was Harry Potter Deathly Hallows Part 2 yet again okay, Captain okay. Franchise 2012 The Avengers that Ch- makes sense life changing movie genre changing movie the following year Iron Man 3 a lot of people don't like that movie that movie made 1.2 billion dollars at the box office yeah. that movie killed <laughs> and coming, then, coming off the yeah coming off the Avengers that helps too but yeah, you know. we're getting into the modern days now and you can see the comic book genre just taking over we and yep. then the following year, 2014, Guardians of the Galaxy. No one saw that coming. Um, nope. And then you got old reliable here in in 2015 with Jurassic World, which 1.6 billion dollars. Yet again, going back to that well of getting up past stuff. Finding Dory was the following year. I'm actually really surprised that that was the biggest one in 2016. Yeah, no. I can't remember that 2016 year, but but anywho. Moving past that, 2017 is Wonder Woman. Um, and then 2018, they don't have on this list, but uh, I think we all know what it is. 
uh, Infinity War. Uh, and then, of course, this year. Yeah. This year, even though it is June, uh, we can all confidently say Endgame is the number one at the box Probably going <laughs> to win. That, yeah. I would say that now, like 2.4 billion worldwide or whatever it is. It's it's like forty million away from the Avatar goal. Yeah, it's about it's yeah it's about to surpass break the all time record perhaps, but yeah. So that's kind of each year in the spotlight, and you can see the trend is changing. And this brings us to modern day blockbusters. The budgets are extremely high now. They're much higher than they were ten years ago, twenty years ago. Um, the the time of year that these movies come out is no longer strictly the summer. As Stephen alluded to earlier, yeah, they are now. Yeah, it, stre- it yeah, stretches out to to March. I mean, March. I would even say February now. <laughs> I would even say. Pos- February. I mean, like Deadpool. Yeah, Deadpool lands in February. I mean, yeah, it- Deadpool, Black Panther was in February. I mean, it's just like there's so many movies being produced with large budgets that you have to fit them in somewhere. And but but I but I do think that there's a cutoff at the end mm. that usually cuts off in August. Like, I, think I mean, so there's, too. there's, there, there are some special cases, but, um, like I, I think what it, it came out in September, didn't yeah. it? But yeah. I mean, that was, that, a, that feels like a fall movie to me. Yeah, I guess. Te- I mean, but I think it's technically still summertime Ooh, uh, yes. when it comes Se- out. Yeah. Seasonally. Yes. Technically the fall, yeah. I don't think has quite started yet. But if you're, if you're saying it ends, you know, August, near August, then sure. But but yeah, there's some exceptions, but like like I think Guardians was an August movie. It wasn't was. It? it was. Yeah. And those are like late August are considered the dog days of summer where you put yeah. those are where you put the movies that you're not quite sure about and movies that you know will not be able to compete at the peak of summer, June, yeah, July. Um right now those those are the hotbed month. The hotbed period I think is late April to mid July, I think is the hotbed times, or even through July, we'll go late April all the way to the end of July. That's a good, that's a good time frame. But I'll say this: um, there's always a hype every year about the summer movie season, and I don't know if it's just me, Stephen. I don't know if you're feeling it too. The hype isn't being remotely fulfilled in any way, at least this no. year for me. Um, and I don't know if that's just because our tastes are different now that we've gotten older, or we're just looking at. Uh, different movies more favorably or less favorably but so far it's midway through june and there's not there's not a lot of great big hits out there when it comes to summer blockbusters but i've talked about this yeah yeah. i mean i've talked i've talked about this before i mean i just think that the specifically hollywood filmmaking is just bloated yes you know it it, it, it's just too much you know they they want to just continue to inundate uh you know the public with more and more things, and I'm telling you, it, it it devalues everything. You know, the more you just pump out there, and you don't actually care about the quality, the the more it's it, people are going to not care about what you're putting out. I mean, yeah, uh, sure, there'll be there'll there'll be people that that you know follow and like certain things, but your returns overall are not going to you know last. You know, most it's, things are franchise things. You, you're right. not creating any original content. You know, you're just building off of things that have already made money, and eventually things de- depreciate. They're not going to make the money like they used to. I mean, oh right, yeah. Also, um, I think it's becoming too uh, focused—not focused, but like 
all of the money is going into one place as opposed to being spread out amongst all these movies. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. for example, Endgame is made billions of dollars, but like some of the other summer movies aren't going to make anywhere close to that. And they're not supposed to, but I mean, like, people, I think, I there's like this whole idea of, oh, there's a superhero fatigue or a summer blockbuster fatigue or something like that. I don't think that that's necessarily a thing. I think people's, there's there's a money fatigue where people are choosing very specifically which movies they want to see and which movies they can wait to see later on because as we yeah. all know these movies are going to end up on Blu-ray, DVD and streaming just a few months down the line and they're not yeah. necessarily must-see movies now and the, and it's not that it, and also the, the way in which we mo- we view movies has changed dramatically we've talked about it so many times that that people would rather stay home to watch a movie as opposed to go out and spending, you know, $10, 12 $15 on a ticket, you know, buying popcorn and soda, which is another $10, $12. You know what I mean? They would rather stay home to do that so they could just wait. Or they could just... And since there are so many movies, they could just stay home and watch something else. And they don't have to go out and, and see that summer blockbuster because they can be just as entertained at home by watching something else. It's a whole mindset thing that I think Hollywood's going to have to... Uh, look at soon and look at someday. Right now, they're doing all right with money-wise, but I think they're going to reach that point where they're going to start seeing that money decrease or they're going to start seeing just, you know, people's money's going to go towards something more specific than than more spread out. And and a lot of movies are going to take big financial hits because of that. They're going to have to adjust the way they spend their money, too. I mean, Hollywood, specifically. It's tough, though, because, I mean, it's, you know... Once you once you reach a certain peak when it comes to making money, you expect to continue to expand. That's how capitalism is. Oh yeah. Uh, you know they want to keep making more and more money every year, and uh, you know the more jobs you give out, the more uh, you know there's more expectation there uh, to keep them jobs, of course. So you're yeah. gonna have to keep making more money, and and that's why I'm saying it's bloated. You know, I'm not I'm not saying I don't want people to have the opportunities to be able to work in the film industry, but there needs to come a point where it's like, you know, like you're creating too many jobs. You're blow. It's just it's too much going on here, uh, and it's hurting you. Hurting the. It's 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 really making us forget that cinema is also an art and not just a a, a means of entertainment and money and yeah, a, and a part of our economy. That's you know? unfortunately been a bri- a byproduct of the summer blockbuster where as opposed to where it started out originally where it was more of um doing fresh new unique films like jaws like star wars indiana jones back to the future all those foundational films we we mentioned and now it's become more uh processed more streamlined more assembly line everything every more yeah, everything's based you know what i mean yeah well everything's based on strategy yeah you know what what they what they think people want to see and that's what they that's the only thing that they'll put money towards right uh, is and it's what they like, think will sell yeah and it's not I don't, I don't put it at the fault of the filmmakers or the production team or the actors or any of those people those people are you know, this is their job, this is their careers, this is their life, this is something they chose to do, most of them at least, I hope so. And so I'm not faulting them, it's the system that they're in is is a problem, you know what I mean? It's the system yeah. that is unfortunately just, you know, that they have to fall in line with because there is no alternative to the Hollywood system 
uh, unless you want to go into the indie realm, which things are a lot more up in the air when it turn when it comes to um, stability with people's careers and things like that. You may get more artistic value. You may get more experimental, more freedom down there. But the chances you take about making a you know a consistent living are are big. You know what I mean? How many? Well, it's indie, all... Yeah, how many indie movies just don't even get mainstream distribution and then the, i was gonna say yeah, yeah the di- distribution's the main thing is and get that, people to see it yeah. and then there are those that that get mainstream distribution and they just fail because nobody because the audience members are not interested in their product uh, a recent recent example Booksmart, the film by olivia wilde yeah. it's an ind- it's a great indie coming of age film that's done on a smaller budget that had a, a wide release and it, it didn't do well at all it just did not do well. I mean, yeah. I'm pretty sure it made enough back to be profitable, at least for its budget. But it, it's not a big hit. What did it make? Like in its first week, it made less than ten million. I think it made like seven million opening weekend or something like that. It it was over, and I'm pretty sure it was released in over two thousand theaters. It, yet again, you you have, and then that something like that will make the the bigger studios be less hesitant to want to make those movies, to want to distribute those movies, because they don't see the financial gain in it. You know what I mean? And that's the whole Hollywood system that we've talked about a few times on this. But that's that's kind of our whole episode right now. We're, we're past the hour mark, um, which, is a, yeah. which is a good place. I mean, everyone, I think, culturally right now has grown up with the summer blockbuster season, whether you're our age or younger, and it's just going to continue on going forward. I mean, it's not going to stop anytime soon, and it's an interesting kind of look at, you know, how culture and movies meshed into one another to create something new and unique, you know, going from the 70s up until now. That's the way, at least that's the way I view it. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 interesting what we value uh, in film. I, I just, I, I kind of just wish we could get back to actually viewing movies more as more than just entertainment. That's my biggest thing. I mean, I I understand the value of, of, of having a I mean, sure, I go I go to the movies wanting to be entertained too. It's one of the main things, but I just I just don't like how film has become so um, economically based in its how how it's shown to the public cuz yeah. you know. I think it I also mean, it creates a sense of stagnancy which in within the the medium that I don't think has taken full hold yet, but it could soon rather than later. Yeah. A stagnancy where people are just going to be like, "Oh, I've seen this already," or "Oh, I'm like, oh, I, I don't have to see this now," or something like that. Where just people will just um, be be open to more options in other places and things like that. But that's a whole other story for a different time. Yeah. So Stephen, um, let's wrap this up here. Take me home. Yeah. I, 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 I will take you home on this. Get back in the machine, Cinema Discovery Machine. Yeah. Uh, where can we find you, Andrew, on uh, the you, internets? You can find me on Twitter at Capzilla06, as well as my YouTube channel, Capzilla Productions. And you can find me on Facebook, Stephen Billings. You can also find uh, me posting all the movie goodies that I get on our Instagram, Cinema Discovery Project. You can find the audio for this podcast on Podbean, uh, Apple Podcast. Uh, apparently, no longer iTunes because that's going to get shut down. But uh, <laughs> but uh, that's going to be it for this episode. Thank you for listening, and hey, keep on watching them movies. I know I will. <laughs> <laughs>